Welcome to episode 11 part 2 of the Media Sharks. Here I go again on my own. Welcome to Awesome Town. Number is uh, 214-329-9827. This is Marcus. I'm by myself uh, again. Uh, nobody's left me this time. I've been here alone the whole time. Uh, but I'm here to talk to uh, Fred Decker again. We uh, unfortunately got our interview cut off, I guess I should say, on Thursday night uh, due to technical glitches. But uh, he is the director of Monster Squad, and the uh, Classic 80s movie comes out on DVD July 24th, Tuesday, July 24th. It's a special 20th anniversary edition with two discs, uh, high, a uh, high-rate transfer on the first disc, and uh, just a ton of uh, special features on the second disc. So uh, let's welcome Fred Decker back to the show. Uh, well, I guess we'll just pick up where... We left off the other day. Uh, I'm not okay. sure exactly where we, where you ended, where the last thing you heard was. I think we were talking about my pals in college, and uh, I think we were done with that. Okay. Well, I know Thomas had asked a question, and it was right at that moment that it died the second time. And that question was, yeah. during the scene where Jason Hervey is beating up, um, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting the, uh, the character's name. Horace. Horace, yes. Horace, yeah. Um, Rudy rolls up on his bike smoking a cigarette. And did you ever catch Flack in the 80s for having kids smoke? There's a whole bunch of stuff in the movie that's now kind of un-PC, um, including Rudy smoking. I mean, he's not only does he smoke, he drinks a beer in the clubhouse. Okay. He, he sits behind a telephoto lens trying to take a picture of a girl taking her shirt off. Um, what else do we have? There's a lot of references to, um, to uh, adults being homos, and uh, there's... Um, there's a section towards the end of the, of the picture where where a fat kid uh, who who was 10 years old at the time has a 12 gauge shotgun. So <laughs> you know, it, it, there's a whole bunch of stuff in the movie that that is kind of un PC, and nobody batted an eye when we did it back in the 80s. And uh, I think there's a, it's kind of refreshing actually. I, I like that stuff in the movie because it's so unbridled. It is it is kind of honest because. Uh kids still do smoke they still drink beers behind, all behind their parents back but it is very i think it's very realistic yeah uh, yeah and you know when i was a kid you know i get i get slammed into my locker in the hallway and the bully would call me a fag and you know it had less to do with any with any sexual component at all than just sort of trying to come up with the sort of nastiest thing he could say and so that came directly from from my experience as a kid since you know going kind of alluding or alongside that um Monster Squad is very much a empowerment film for kids, just like Goonies and a bunch of films during the '80s were. Um, why do you think Hollywood has transitioned away from that? Because they have in a lot of ways, and do you think they'll ever come back? Well, I don't know if uh, I don't know. You know, Harry Harry Potter. You wouldn't call Hollywood movies, although uh, they're financed by uh, by Warner Brothers. Mm. Um, you know, kid empowerment. You're talking about specifically about kid empowerment? Well, it was, yeah, I mean, it was like Lost Boys, um, Monster Squad, Goonies. They were all, you know, young kids dealing with these supernatural threats often and, and larger than yeah. life, always battling against the adults. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, uh, I think part of the fact is that a lot of us who made those kinds of movies were were pretty young when we made them, so we were still in touch with that. The other thing is that I think that 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 I may be wrong, but but I really get the vibe that society and culture, uh, particularly in this country right now, is very cynical. Um, that that started many many years ago, but there's a whole lot of kind of darkness in culture that's not that's not dark for any reason other than it's kind of the, the vibe that everybody's feeling and and uh, that that cynicism i think applies up and down the line so it's 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 much harder to be kind of sincere than it used to be without people laughing at you and thinking it's cheesy mm-hmm. so i think that that there's a component there of that when do you when do you think that that changed when did it change? Uh, probably in the 90s. I mean, clearly everybody's really jittery post-9-11. Sure. But, uh, but even before that, I think the 80s was a really materialistic time. That's when, that's when MTV and commercials and all that kind of stuff became real guideposts for culture. And all of it is based entirely on artifice and flash and no substance at all. And I think that, that uh, anybody who grew up in that time has become an adult thinking that that appearance is more important than substance. Hmm. And I think there's an element of that going on throughout culture right now. So um, obviously the movie didn't do well at the time, but it did become a... Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it, the, uh, what, what did it lose, about $10 million, something like that? Well, that sounds about right. Um, it, cost about, it cost about twelve five, and uh, it made you know just a couple of million. And uh, what I'm unclear on is, you know, how the money kind of came back to the studio internationally and through um, cable and home video. I do know that it was number one at the box office in Italy hmm. uh, the year that it came out for, for quite a while. It was very popular there. So, Do you get a lot of international recognition? Yeah, I have a lot of fans in Germany. Uh, my other movie, Night of the Creeps, was, was very... Um, was, was, was really uh, well-liked in, in Germany, and, uh, and so that was kind of crazy and kooky. Uh, speaking of Night of the Creeps, real quick, um, I, I had a friend who was really into that movie. He wanted me to ask you, when is that going to be released on DVD? And it, and if you know, what can we expect? Well, it's too early to say, except that all I can say is that Michael Felcher, who who produced the Monster Squad DVD, is um, is also a, a big fan of, of Creeps and, and has approached Sony about doing the DVD. Mm-hmm. And um, things are looking very positive. What's uh, what's been the story with that as far as why it's taken so long? Just another rights issue? Well, yeah, it's kind of the same thing with Monsters Club. Nobody cares. Yeah, you know, these, when you make a big tentpole, big smash hit movie, mm. the negative is under lock and key, and the studio goes out of its way to make the most of that property. When something doesn't do well, it becomes kind of a bastard child that's kind of, you know, the red-headed stepchild is sort of shuffled off to the kids' table. And that's really what's happened with these movies. It's not that, uh, it's, it's, with Monster Squad, it was the rights issue. With Creeps, I think it's that, you know, Sony is a giant ape corporation, and they have bigger fish to fry. So do you think Lionsgate was surprised by the reception for Monster Squad uh, coming oh, yeah. on DVD? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think they're going to be very pleasantly surprised when the when the numbers start coming in. Given that, and, and the fact that it lost money back in the time, have you ever, now since we're approaching the DVD release Tuesday, have you thought about maybe either doing either doing a sequel, B, if, I don't know if a studio would do it, uh, or I'm sorry, A, B, maybe take it into some other venue like comics or like the Sci-Fi Channel or something? That's a cool question. I've actually... Uh, 
been thinking in in terms of the kind of approach to a sequel that uh, that I was talking about with Ryan Lambert and, and Andre Gower and, and Ashley Bank when we were at Monster Mania. Um, the the take that we had on it was very character oriented, very dark, and we saw kind of you know let's let's see you know Rudy as a, as an auto mechanic who's got a drinking problem and a and you know a, a marriage is falling apart and and you know let's see uh, Phoebe is now you know a young professional and she's maybe uh, you know not having a whole lot of of uh, success in relationships and just kind of t- taking the reality base and then jamming the monster element into it once we've established these characters again. It seems like something that would lend itself to graphic novels, mm-hmm. um, even more so than movies. So I would be really into doing um, to doing graphic novels or, or, or comics about these characters kind of as they are now. Do you ever see it existing as any sort of anthology TV show like Buffy or Angel or anything in that vein? Well, um, I actually, I, I was approached by a producer that I'm working with uh, about doing it as a TV series, but uh, you know, I don't know. It's it, it's its trademark is kids versus monsters, mm-hmm. and uh, and in to my way of thinking, that's kind of been played out by the Buffy's and the Harry Potters and the other kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So to me, just doing a flat out remake or doing a series that's still got that component to it seems really played out to me. It seems tired. I would feel like it was a ripoff myself. But but this notion of of taking these characters and presuming knowledge of the first movie, um, even though it may have a smaller audience, I think it would be truer to the to the material. Well, speaking speaking of a remake, there was a, a fan script that I think circulated on the internet uh, a couple years ago um, that some pur- was it? purporting I don't know I never read it but it was purported to be an actual remake. Um, do you actually hold the rights to the remake or how does it work exactly when somebody remakes a film? Can you say no? I don't want this to be remade since it was your idea originally. Well, uh, there's, there's a great thing in the Writers Guild um, contract now, which is if you've written a movie uh, and you're still alive and working, if somebody wants to do a sequel or remake, they have to come to you first, for, mm-hmm. write a first refusal. That's why David Seltzer's name is on the remake of The Omen, because they essentially just used the same script. And I don't know if he wrote a new script, but he has screen credit on it just because he wrote the first one. Right. Um, they would have to come to me. I just think the idea of a flat-out sequel, a flat-out remake, rather, is mm. uh, is just a, a invitation to disaster. So you would, like what a lot of people said about the Omen. So you would absolutely turn it down then. Well, the problem is, if I did, somebody else would do it. Right. Um, as as far as rights, you know, again, we talked about in the first. We talked about this in the first part of the interview. The, the rights on Monster Squad are so squirrely mm-hmm. that, the, that, for instance, Lionsgate, I don't think, has the remake rights. They only have the home entertainment rights. Interesting. Somebody else, Paramount, I know, has the music rights because we have a, a really cool, splashy, new remastered CD soundtrack coming out uh, by the end of the year right. uh, from, Intra- from Entrada. So Paramount owns the music. Lionsgate owns the home video. I don't know who owns the sequel rights. I don't know who owns the, the remake rights. <laughs> Well, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy, man. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be involved. At the uh, Alamo Drafthouse screening, you had, at the yeah. time the DVD had not been announced, and you were encouraging people to write uh, Lionsgate, I believe, or maybe it was MGM, to get the DVD produced. Did you mm. hear if anybody actually wrote MGM or whoever it was? And I have you- a. F- I don't. I don't know for a fact, but I have a feeling there were a lot of letters. So, what can we expect on the DVD? The DVD is jam-packed, man. It's, it's, I mean, I made the movie, and it's almost too much even for me. Mm-hmm. Anything, pretty much, that you would want to know about how this movie was made 
is in here somewhere. There's two commentary tracks. One is the, uh, three of the, ca- of the cast, the kids, uh, Sean, uh, Rudy, and Phoebe, and myself. Um, and then there's another commentary track, which is uh, myself and the, and the cinematographer, Bradford May. So the cast, the cast one is kind of more fun. It's us just kind of enjoying the movie and, and having some cocktails. Mm-hmm. And the one with me and Bradford May is um, a little more scholarly and, and, and technical. Uh, so that's and then the the actual treatment of the of the movie is fantastic. It's 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 been remastered from the original IP two three five aspect ratio. We did a little five point one Dolby um, tweak mix, and uh, it looks and sounds fantastic. That's disc one, and disc two has a documentary that's actually longer than the movie. Oh wow! Which is called which is called Monster Squad Forever, and it's five parts, uh, and it just details pretty much everything you could possibly want to know about uh, how this movie was made so who had the uh the best print of the movie that you made the dvd from well the ip is an inner positive which means it's a it's a positive print of the negative where the actual negative is i don't know but apart from having the original negative it's pretty much as good as you can do Mm. and i i saw stuff in the remaster that I had not seen since I looked through the eyepiece of the Panaflex 20 years ago. Oh, wow. So it was pretty exciting. So uh, oh. there's, a, there's a shot, there's a kind of famous uh, shot in the movie, if you know the movie, a kind of memorable shot of, mm-hmm. of the squad all sort of walking away into the sunset. And it wasn't until I looked at this new DVD that I saw the sun in the shot itself. Oh, wow. As opposed to, ju- as opposed to just sort of the wash of, of, of yellow and orange light, I could actually see the disc of the sun itself. And I went, wow, I haven't seen that in 20 years. So how did you, how did you do that shot originally? Was that, uh, you know, since I, I guess on the VHS transfer, maybe you couldn't see that. Did you d- actually use the actual sun in that shot? Yeah. Yeah, when you scout locations, you know, uh, you, you sort of say, okay, where is the sun at this time of day, and where is it at that time of day? And mm. I knew that I wanted to have this her- sort of hero shot of the of the squad and Frankenstein walking into the sunset. So the location that we were on, we said, okay, we've got a hill, so we know that, that all you'll see is sky at the top of this road. What time of day is the sun going to be over there? And we just planned it, and we shot it at that time of day. Did you get the perfect shot in one take? Uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it seems like you don't have funny, much though, time. You know, you, you don't hear, um, are, we, are we on? Are we still okay? <laughs> yeah. You broke up there for a minute. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're fine. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> um, well, what's funny in something like that, whenever you're on a long lens, which is a telephoto where, the, where, where your actors are really far away from you, you have to keep being on a radio to tell them to make sure to stay inside the frame. Right. So if you look at that shot very carefully, you can see the squad all in, sort of walking along gaily and enjoying their, their, their camaraderie and the, the, you know, have, having made friends with Frankenstein's monster, and then they'll sort of start to drift off to one side, and then you'll see them sort of not go that way and go back, and that's me on the radio going, to your right, to your right! <laughs> Turn left now. Go, go, no, no, you're going too far to the right. So looking back, well, first of all, before the Alamo screening, um, how long had it been since... Remember you, the Alamo. How long had it been since you'd seen the film? Been, been years. It's been years. You know, I'll pick it up every once in a while. I had a... Uh, I had a Japanese laser disc that I, looked, that I, that I would look at because I, I, I found it impossible to look at the... Um, at the pan scan version. So it, it had been a while, but it had certainly been 20 years since I'd seen it with an audience, and that was mind-blowing. So looking back again, seeing it years later, is there anything that you would have done different that you see now, like you 
I don't know, through all the experience you've had that you would do different or you would want to maybe make better now? Well, I think if you see the D- if you watch the DVD, you'll see uh, you'll learn a lot about the the relationship between myself and Peter Hyams, who was the executive producer. And, and Peter has a very unique style, and he's also a cinematographer and a writer and a producer and and, and director. So, it being sort of the first picture that he shepherded as a producer, his handprints are are all over the movie in terms of some of the style of it. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I would do the stuff that Peter suggested differently necessarily, but given my druthers, I probably would have at the time done it differently. So it has to do with style. You know, Peter's style is very is very dark, it's very earth tones, it's very long lens. And my style, I, I like to see things in wide lenses and with slightly brighter colors and, and wide lenses and having the camera move a lot. So it's just a slightly different style. So if you look at the movie, you can kind of see Peter's style pe- peeping up sometimes, and then my style will take over, and vice versa. So, where do you go from here? I know the last time uh, I-, I had read something, you were writing a treatment for uh, Lightstorm, you know, at some uh, apocalyptic film or something. Oh yeah, well that's a that's a really cool cool kind of science fiction horror thriller kind of end of the world movie that uh, um, I was developing at, with Jim Cameron's company, and now uh, I've just optioned it to Gold Circle and. Uh, Eric Newman, the, the producer of, of Children of Men and Dawn of the Dead, is the producer on that, and that's something that I'm uh, supposed to direct for Gold Circle. Uh, when is that uh, slated to go forward behind the camera? Uh, uh, you know, I'm waiting for the starter pistol. It, okay. could, it, it could never happen. It could happen, you know, as soon as an actor commits. So uh, Hollywood is a very kind of hurry up and wait place. My experience of my career is that he, things either happen instantly or they take forever. There's never that kind of like in two months. Okay, see you in two months. That never ever happens. It's always okay. Go now, or okay, here we go. And then you sit there and watch the clock and grow a beard, and you know. <laughs> so uh, what? I don't know if you can say, but who would you envision in the lead roles for this movie, or what types of people? I guess. Um, you know, I really can't say. Okay. Uh, we've 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 offered it to some actors, and uh, we've had some some good responses. And um, it's all about uh, you know catching lightning in a bottle and finding the right person at the right time. And uh, there's a lot of wonderful actors out there. <laughs> so what uh, what are you doing in the meantime while you're hurry up and waiting? Uh, I'm writing um, uh, a another movie which is based on a true story. It's the it's the, a, a biopic of a um, of a brilliant playwright. Um, who uh, started a theater company in, in uh, upstate New York in the 70s, and he fell off a bridge and suffered brain damage. And it's kind of the, um, the story charting his sort of rise and then rise again as he has to kind of readjust and, and you know, reacclimate uh, to what his life is going to be. And uh, It's very powerful. Uh, Curtis Birch is the producer, and it's called The Loss of Nameless Things, uh, based on a documentary by Bill Rose uh, of the same title. And then I've also sold a... Uh, TV pilot with my partner Alex Madero to uh, to TNT uh, and DreamWorks is producing and that's a uh, that's an hour long drama but it's got a big fantasy hook a big fantasy element to it so we're really excited about that. Have you uh, have you actually already produced the pilot or you just sold the concept? No, we are uh, with the script is finished and um, we're just waiting for a green light right now. So you're in that when you're waiting to cast as well. Uh, yes, exactly. Are you able to tell, to tell the story behind it? Maybe what it's all about. Or do you have to? Keep uh, that it's secret? a it's a very high concept idea, and I'd like to kind of sit on it if, okay. if you don't mind. No, that's fine. Um, 
because once you hear it, you'll say, of course, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> so, uh, All right. Um, we're, we're very excited about it. Well, good. I wish you the best of luck with that, of course. Uh, is there anything you'd like to, besides the Monster Squad DVD, anything else you'd like to promote? I just, uh, I think, I think just as a fan, um, the, the, the DVD is really delivers the goods. The movie looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. And there's all the bells and whistles that you could possibly want. And I really urge you, if you, uh, if you're a fan of the movie to, to go out and get it. And if you, and if you've never seen it, give it a shot. Well, uh, our, our website, Pop Syndicate, uh, gave it five stars. So, Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm Damon, assuming uh, that's out of five. Yeah. Damon, right. he loved the, loved the transfer, loved all the special features. So, Oh, that's great. That's I think it's going to be a big success. Praise. Yeah, well, good luck, uh, good luck with your upcoming projects. Uh, you know, I definitely want to see more from you in the future. Thanks, and, Marcus. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for all your time. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. You too. All right. Well, if you would like to uh, toss a celebrity or two our way, a director or, uh, well, hell, we'll talk to anybody these days, you can call us at 214-329-9827. And I still don't have the email address set up. Uh, I'll find out next episode why. Uh, that is breakroom at gmail.com. Uh, you can find <laughs> you can find uh, all of the podcasts, uh, all of our episodes at mediasharks.com with an X or the media shark spelled like a normal shark at the mediasharks.com. You can also find uh, our sister podcast, Paperback Radio, at paperbagradio.com and our um, well, our retarded sister show, Pickled Embryo at pickledembryo.com. And uh, you can find all those podcasts joining hands at popsyndicate.com. There's also all kinds of DVD reviews, movie reviews, um, CD reviews, and all kinds of crap. Uh, the forums are there also. There's a Media Sharks forum as well as uh, forums for all kinds of other crap like movies and TV shows. I'm talking way too much. Uh, but that's all right. Again, the phone number is 214-329-9827. Um, we'll be back uh, next Friday on your iPod or MP3 player of choice. Another breakout media podcast. Stick it in your auditory orifice. Boom.